0: Hello and welcome to Telling Stories. My name is James Trippany and this is a Trippany Show podcast. Telling Stories we tell the stories of professional wrestlers from around the world, in their history, in their heyday, and highlight some of the great performers in our industry. Now, the last couple of weeks there's been a fantastic Mania tour in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and one of the key performers is Nima Shimoda, making a grand return to Currican Hall, where she owned the place in the 1990s. I thought it would be a good time to share an old story and get back to the Forgotten Tag Team series which I left sometime last year. Yumi Shimoda was a member of Los Cacajares Orientalis, the Oriental Bitches, better known as the LCO. The toughest, roughest, baddest tag team in professional wrestling, especially in the women's circuit, but they could give men a run for their money when it came to evil acts. Mima Shimoda and Atsuka Mita were revolutionary professional wrestlers when everyone in the AJW was a revolutionary professional wrestler. They perhaps didn't get the credit they deserved. However, watching Mima Shimoda do her thing as a manager in CMLL inspired me to retell this story. So today I give you the Forgotten Tag Teams, Los Kakaharas Orientalis, Mima Shimoda and Atsuka Mita. In any other era, Mimishimoda Shimoda and Atsuko Mita would have been major stars in any company anywhere in the world. They were inventive pioneers and as heels, heat magnets of a very high quality. The problem was, they both graduated the All Japan Women's Dojo at the same time. And their classmates and peers were just so damn good. Based with an upper car that included Bull Nakano, Aja Kong, Toshige Yamada, Akira Hokuto and Minami Toyota. Five women who were absolute masters of the genre. Anyone would have trouble standing out. However, Mitra and Shimoda found their groove and became one of the most successful post-Crush Girls tag teams in AJW. Mitra and Shimoda graduated the AJW dojo in 1987, by the year that included the graduation of the old fellow mentioned Yamada and Toyota, the trainers that year were Akira Hokuto and Jagu Yakota. All the more amazing when you consider that Hokuto was only one year out of graduation herself, the pair worked away steadily in those first three years as Joshi debutants do even today, staring at lights, cleaning ring mats and learning. The first championship was a pair of AJW Tag Team Championships. The AJW titles, Tag, Singles and Junior acted as a young wrestlers division. You weren't assured greatness, but it was a sign the company believed in you and that you were on an upward trajectory. They won the titles on November 14, 1990 from the Honey Wings. Mito already tasted tag success in a team with Toshiya Yamada, Dream Orca. When Yamada was injured, they relinquished the belts and the Honey Wings took them in a final over the Tokyo Sweethearts, Mima Shimoda and Manami Toyota. As good as the Sweethearts and Dream Orca were, it was clear the chemistry wasn't quite right. Toyota and Yamada were floated off the team and then feuded together in ensuing years, creating one of the greatest tag pairings I've ever seen, and it was clear that Meita and Shimoda should have something to do together as well. Shimoda looked like a star. With an evil grin that empowered a sadistic ring character, a Tokyo Sweetheart she clearly wasn't. Mita had nice glare that could freeze Lake Placid at a glance. Their success lay on the other side of the heel-face divide, but how they got there needed a catalyst. One of the casualties of 1989 was Isaka Uno. Having claimed the tag titles with Yumoki Hota in a tournament after Chigisou and Nagaya retired and the Crush Girls needed to vacate the straps, Uno and Hota would defend the titles for the first time in July in a hot and heavy match with the Red Typhoons. Uno would take a pile driver from the second rope to end the first ball. It broke her neck. Of course, being Uno, she had to finish the match first, but she would need a year off to recover. In her time off, she began to think about her comeback. She changed her name to Akira Hokuto, partly because of Akira Maeda. She dyed her hair blonde and rethought her ring gear, from the traditional swimsuit to a more Lucha-inspired ensemble and turned heel. With Suzuki Minami, she would form the Marine Walls, and joining her wider heel stable over time would be Shimoda and Mita, her two protégés from the AJW Dojo. They would become known as Las Kokoharis Orientalis, The Oriental Bitches, a somewhat misguided name, but if you're after being the baddest of the badass, is only one way to go about it. Though the LCO has success as a stable, and when Hakuten made her grandstand challenge in LLPW, the rest of the LCO came with her, the main concern of this article starts in 1997. That is when the real legacy of Shimoda and Mita was built, as WWWA Tag Team Champions. They had built a reputation as tough as nail brawlers, but their in-ring chops were nothing to be sneered at either. Mita especially was an innovative worker, she invented the Death Valley Driver and the Death Valley Bomb, the inspiration for Luis Piccoli's use of the move and of course all its derivatives, the F5, the Attitude Adjustment and the Blu-Ray Driver. For all their grace and style, what got them to the dance was the high level of viciousness. It started out simply enough, some chair shots here, a foreign object there, but at the height the LCO could play a full orchestra of violence with all the dynamics that entailed. They were high quality, dual team machine. Their reign of terror began in 1997. The champions were Tomoko Watanabe and Kimiki Makawa. They wouldn't know what hit them. The LCA had been separated for some time, Nami had been reunited with Toyota as a Tokyo Sweethearts for one WWWA title run. However, with Akira Hokuto slowly on her way out of the company and onto Gaia, the pair were now a full-on-heel machine to plug that gap. Mita came to the ring as a swashbilling pirate in lilac, Shimoda in a more traditional kimono. Back then, the production values of Joshi had reached such heights every inch of fabric a wrestler wore was an analyse of meaning and intent and it wasn't unusual to see full 19th century ball gowns as ring entrance wear. The LCO were no exception. They may have been evil, but they were evil with style. The matches they had in this time were best exemplified on the best of WWA tag team titles released from AJW. The series they ended up having with Watanabe Makawa would set the standard for their run. They were cocky, arrogant and overbearing. They started bringing chairs to the ring alongside their title belts. They would get used often, and usually to the head, though their unique way of holding the chair halfway up and making sure they released on impact so it looked way more impressive, but was a lot safer than the dangerous practices of others. Than the dangerous practices of others. Their strategy in tag title matches, usually best of 3 falls, was to isolate and dominate one opponent as early as possible. If they could take it to the outside, they would, favouring ringside brawling as their wear-down technique. Shimoda favoured the chairs, Mita favoured tables. Pile-driving opponents through whatever available furniture. Those of you who watch Botch regularly will know of the resilience of the Japanese table. Mita would get them to break by getting their legs out of the way so their opponent's head looked like it was making direct contact first, and in some cases it probably did. It was vicious and dangerous, but the table would give way eventually. For all their brawling skills, it was in the ring that mattered, and they would not disappoint in a very smart and well-educated crowd who knew road wrestling when they saw it. Shimoda's dragon suplex off the top rope. And the dvd from meter were highly anticipated moves in any match shimoda had spent quite some time developing her skill sets in cmll the mexican company that had given her an advanced lucha edge to her offense scent on plancha was unique and safe as she generally landed feet first rather than head first meter too could throw herself around for a fair abandon however it was cheating that would bring them their greatest viewing point taking the advantage of the ajw rules that stated what happened outside the ring stayed outside the ring they would find a referee distraction, tying opponents up to the light- lighting rig for instance, and then set about their isolated partner with a lengthy ringside barrier they had to for themselves. With the ends cut off to create a ladder in from which Shimoda would climb and follow it down with their prone opponent, we were usually under a chair. The result was Shimoda and Mita would be covered in somebody else's blood, victorious and unbearable in their conceit. In cage matches like the one they had against Kiyo and Tamaka Watanabe, they were even worse. Coming to the ring with their deep purple ring gear, with a chair in one hand and a roll of chain in the other. They looked incredibly fierce before they even got going. When they did get there they were dominant but mixed all of this fallen hill persona with some lucha inspired offence, kicks and punches and a well rounded shoot style attack. Taking a cross armlock or a deep knee bar was a favourite. Mita preferred shoot style, Shimoda predated Kazuchika Kakao's approach to mixing lucha submissions with strong style but brought really impressed with those finishes. If Mita had someone up on her shoulders there would be a gasp in anticipation as she delivered the DVD. Not since Jake Roberts DDT had one move been so over anywhere. Similarly, though not quite as over, Shimoda's Dragon Suplex had an impending sense of finality to it. Their first title reign sets this level of devout evil ambition. They vacated the straps in January of 98 as WCW was being run over by a bunch of renegades, the NWO, so AJW would raise their eye of wrestling terror juggernaut themselves, the Zaps, Zap-I and Zap-T, two masked and boiler suited wrestlers who'd take the title with a heavy brawling style in April of 1988. The LCO would challenge them for the straps in July. It would be a brawl for the ages. The Zaps were anti-everything wrestlers. They wore black singlets and pants over white t-shirts. The style was to brawl to the wall, and they didn't care about the tradition of AJW. As the LCO had had a big hand in the building of that tradition, despite their rule-breaking ways, it'd been interesting to match to say the least. The Zaps jumped Shimoda a metre before the opening bell. The four tore into each other, using anything that wasn't nailed down. The cameras focused on Mita, who was being hand-handled by one of the zaps. She took a hard charging neck drop onto a rampway, while Shimoda returned to the ring and caked in blood. Clearly her trip to the back had not been successful, but she was still dragging a zap by the mask. Eventually the zaps took control and Shimoda was the victim of two heavy double foot stomps from the top rope, that was followed up by an assisted powerbomb. This was a first. The LCO had been so dominant, it was just strange not seeing them being in charge, especially in the opening sequence of the match. The third heavy double stomp gave the Zaps the first fall. Her conditions for the match would worsen as it started to rain on the outdoor arena. However, Shimoda and Mita would take control again, trying to demask Zap T. Meanwhile, Mita unloaded a Death Valley bomb on the ramp on Zap I. Eventually, they made it back to the ring, but Zap T was the worst for wear and now unmasked. The demasking of a Zap would, of course, reveal that it would be Kieruito and Tomoko Watanabe, the very people the LCO had defeated in a cage the previous year. Shimoda delivered a brain kick and the top rope as Mita held in her position for a DVD. She was saved by Zapai who received a cracking cane shot for her trouble in this no DQ affair. The crowd grasped in wonder, another DVD and the falls were even. Shimoda holding Zapai, the Zap regained some of the momentum on the third fall, isolating Mita and attacking her knee. Shimoda did her best to cover her friend, taking an unholy cane shot to protect the well supported joint. Zapai's foot stomps became even more vicious. The canes were swung that bit harder as both teams sensed the finish. A gut wrench powerbomb from T scored a 2 count, but it felt like the LCO were going to be damn near hospitalised and lose this match, a Shimoda Dragon suplex. But it felt like the LCO would rather be hospitalised than lose this damn match, a Shimoda Dragon suplex received a 2 count, the back and forth reaching a crescendo. T came back with a third gut wrench powerbomb and still only 2. This was getting to be the most violent tag match Josh had seen in years, and they were still looking to give even more. Eventually, one last dragon suplex would deliver the titles back to the AJW faithful to the audible relief of the crowd. Eventually, they would drop the titles back to Watanabe and Makawa, who would in turn vacate them in May of 2000, which would lead to a tournament vital for the vacant belts between the LCO and up-and-coming young wrestlers Nanai Takahashi and Momo Nakanishi. Nana Momo. And we'll leave our story of the LCO just right there. It's a fascinating story as far as I can tell. My favourite tag team in the jockey annals of history. So a young team that I know of are making their way in a similar fashion. Millie McKenzie and Charlie Evans. The Medusa Complex echoes so much of what the LCO were about in the 1990s. It makes me smile every time I see them. I speed, no drag. That's how professional wrestling should done. Thanks for listening to Telling Stories today. My name is James Troopany. You can find me at Sherry Star on Twitter. And you can find the Troopany Show channel on Twitter as well, at Troopany Show. You can find us on Facebook the Troopany Show and on Patreon where you keep us free forever for everyone. Please go speak to our sponsors, powerslam.tv and Indie Empire Magazine where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Also get a free month at powerslam.tv when you use the code, or the music by Sheriff Lone Star and the deputies of Heartbreak, Salmon, Salad Boogie, available at Bandcamp, forward slash Sheriff Lone Star.